Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Only the Steelers remain unbeaten as they topple the Titans and the Cardinals Seahawk the Seahawks. We'll be looking back at week seven. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. And as we approach the trade deadline, we'll be throwing speculation into the air as we put forward the trades we'd like to see. And to do that, we are joined once again by Gordon McGuinness. Um, Gordon, thank you for joining us. Week seven in the history books, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's start with your, your good friends in Pittsburgh, the only remaining unbeaten NFL team in the 2020 season. How much longer does that go on for? Uh, were we on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Four days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how that game is going to go on Sunday. Uh, the Steelers being good doesn't overly surprise me because good teams in the NFL tend to stay good. Um, Big Ben, despite my own slightly distorted words, has not been incredible, but he's been good enough. Um, and you know they they were better than the Titans, despite the fact there was a missed field goal that you know stopped the game going to overtime. They they hammered them through the first like two and a bit quarters of that game, so they are they are six and one merit as uh, as hard as that is to say. And Paul, we were chatting about this because in the NFL Scotland Fantasy League chat, of course, Ali Evans is a big Titans fan. Uh, he had written that off one pretty early, but the the Titans came back into it. The Steelers allowed them to creep back into the game, and it ended up being much much closer than it looked like it would be. What did I tell, tell you last week? I believe nothing that happens in the first quarter. No lead is insurmountable unless perhaps you're the Jets. I think that should be the only one we should probably say. You know, we've seen teams come from 14 points down, 20 points down, etc., etc. If you're down early enough, you've still got lots and lots of time to come back. The clever coaches can scheme and re-scheme and get things moving. Again, so and I think that's partly what the Titans did. I was quite impressed with the way they came back. Gordon's right; they should have tied it. If they had tied it, it doesn't cover up the fact that the Titans were perhaps lucky to get there. Uh, Big Ben, I mean, the pass to the end zone when the guy was covered uh, with about three defenders around him was just a bad decision. And it's little decisions like that that sometimes just go against you. And that could have turned the tide for the Titans to come back and win. And we could have been talking about the 5-1 Steelers and how Big Ben gave it away at the end. Small margins. Indeed. And now, I don't want to start talking about Week 8 already because we're, we're looking back at Week 7, but the one thing that the Steelers did do that was, I think, uh, a major contributing factor towards that victory is for a large part of that game, they stopped Derek Henry. I mean, there was a couple of goal line stops that were proper big boy tackles. You know, a couple of the linebackers stepping up and absolutely smashing into him. He repeatedly was faced with a wall. Uh, and, you know, out of the top 15 running backs of the week, he had the lowest average at 3.8 per carry. Just the one touchdown along of 17. Now, Derek Henry's been so instrumental in everything that the Titans have been about. And we saw that last year as well, where the Chiefs were able to figure out a way to slow down Derek Henry, and that resulted in a Chiefs win. Thinking about the Steelers, though, that's given them a little bit of encouragement ahead of playing the Ravens, where they can actually think, do you know what, we can stop the run. If we can figure out how to stop Lamar Jackson here, we've got a pretty good chance of taking this to 7 or no. Yeah, and, and they, they are set up very well. Their, their defensive front is set up well um, against the Ravens' offensive line that has kind of struggled on the interior this year. Um, and just looking at some of the players the Steelers have, uh, Cameron Hayward's phenomenal. 
Um, Stefan too, it's playing really well. Tyson Alou-Alou is having a career year. You know, TJ Watt and Bud Dupree off the edges. They are very, very strong on the edges and up front. Their inside linebackers are where they've had injuries. Devin Bush is out. I think he's out for the season. He's definitely out for this week anyway. Um, and even one of the guys there, the guy who came in and stopped Derek Henry on the goal line, I think he dislocated his shoulder, but was back in a couple of plays later. Um, so, you know, whether or not he goes this week and not even just in the running game, the inside, that'll be key this week is if their inside linebackers are a bit shaky, that's where the Ravens can kind of take away um, some big plays because the middle of the field, they can be dangerous. So moving into some of the other games then, the other team that we saw and we talked about at the top there uh, lose their unbeaten streak uh, rather as well as the Titans was the Seahawks. Uh, and what an absolute ding-dong of a game that was. Flexed out eventually because of the question marks around the Bucks raiders games, which which thankfully went ahead. But what a great Sunday night football game. Uh, so much to talk about there. So many big plays. Um and, and I said at the very top here that the Cardinals Seahawk the Seahawks because we've seen so many times the Seahawks have the fortune of coming into games when it comes down to the fourth quarter and then when it's a, a coin toss, it comes down on their side. This time, and actually overtime was fine here because at least everybody got a chance, but this came right down to the wire and it was uh, a big win for the Cardinals in the end. I mean, I was very impressed with the way they play. Kyler Murray continues to defy people who think that he's, that he's too small. Uh, interesting, I, I watched over the last couple of days the ESPN 30 for 30 on Michael Vick and they talk about, you know, how Michael Vick set, you know, set the mould and the pathway for your Lamar Jacksons, your Patrick Mahomes, your Kyler Murrays. And you can see some of Michael Vick in Kyler Murray, just the way he can move, the way he can accelerate. And it's very exciting. And I think he's also getting a little bit smarter at avoiding getting absolutely clattered by people unnecessarily. And I think that's a distinction that if you look at, you know, Joe Burrow, um, who's not quite the, the same mobility, but he's got that problem. He's getting clattered too often. So I think Kyler Murray's come in and been very, very smart. It's something that is probably the most underrated thing that people talk about with young quarterbacks or don't talk about is knowing how to avoid those hits. Joe Burrow's taken way too many this year and he takes them by, you know, backing away out the pocket when pressure's already there, just throw the ball away and get rid of it. Kyler Murray runs, and one, he's able to make people miss. Some He has a touchdown run, you know, every second week whereby, you know, he just makes people look silly. Um, the way he runs will never not make me laugh because it's like, <laughs> it's like Jerry and Jerry's the mouse and Tom. And yeah, Jerry, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When, when he's running up, it's just like running. It looks as if he is running too fast for his legs to be able to keep up, and it's it's great. But as the person who uh, had the, the Cardinals as their sleeper Super Bowl pick, I'm, uh, I'm quite happy with how they've played so far. Uh, and they've been much better than I anticipated that they were going to be. I think that he does look great. You're right. He scampers rather than necessarily runs. There's something about the leg movement that is funny. Um it's a unique style. And I mean, on Sunday night there, he came up against the guy who's been doing it for years. And Russell Wilson continues to be that guy, although he's throwing that ball an awful lot more. Actually, you look at his numbers, three touchdowns, three interceptions, two sacks. Feels quite unusual to see a three in the interception and two in the sack column for him. Um, you know, nobody threw the ball more than Russell Wilson threw it this weekend. That team has absolutely evolved into what it should have been for a long time, which is a throw-first football team. Obviously, the fact that Carson picked up an injury means that they were kind of forced to do it a little 
little bit more. But, um, you know, Tyler Lockett had an absolute day. DK Metcalf was quite quiet other than his 100-meter sprint. Um, and, you know, the next Usain Bolt, if the media is to be believed. Um, <laughs> but we'll come on to that in a minute. But, you know, it was a proper ding-dong. The NFC West is proving, once again, to be the the division in football at the moment where all four teams are capable of winning and it, and it's thrilling it's absolutely thrilling the the other thing that i think's great for the the cardinals this year is the the trade to go and get deandre hopkins um one at the time looked like an absolute steal looks even more so now uh leads the nfl in receiving yards uh and just like there was there was a clip i saw on uh, social media on Monday or Tuesday, and it was Kyler Murray dropping back to pass. It's almost like he sees that Hopkins is one-on-one and he smiles. You can see from the reverse camera, he just throws it up. And he's just, the Cardinals already were a team who were set up to have success offensively by scheme. And going out and adding a guy who, when things just aren't working, you can just throw up. And, you know, you know there's a greater than 50-50 chance that he's coming down with the ball in a in a 50-50 situation. Um, I think it's just been such a big boost for them. And that's exactly what Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf give to Russell Wilson as well. And they're guys that are will just keep coming down with the ball. Uh, it's very impressive all round. I guess we've got to mention uh, an impressive performance as well from the Buccaneers. The Raiders made a bit of a game in the first half, but really the Buccaneers got into their groove and they are now looking particularly strong. Um, we'll, we'll come on to the Antonio Brown piece, I'm sure, at some point, but uh, you know they're getting more weapons there. Uh, weapon being the absolutely appropriate word. Um, works both ways. Um, but, you know, an impressive one. I'll be honest, I am now calculating how many burgers this is going to cost me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did. I had them winning this anyway, and I did have them at this stage. You know, in my run to the end of the season, I thought that this is exactly where they would be. But I've, they do seem to be trending up the way. Those the the last two games have been particularly impressive. They've looked really, really good. Nobody's getting to them, and it's as much I think the defense is giving them the boost. It's giving Brady the platform to throw the ball around as well. He can do so and not have to worry about it. But the Raiders never got to Brady at all this weekend, uh, and he was he was clinical in what he needed to do. And Gronk seems to be getting back into his groove as well. There's a lot coming up, and I guess. Paul, from a Saints fan and a Saints point of view, got to be worried now that the the Buccaneers are the team with the wind in their pirate sails uh, and they can go on and potentially win this division. Yeah, but the good thing is they're the Buccaneers, so they won't. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's, so that's fine. You know what? I, I don't begrudge Brady doing well. I'm delighted he went somewhere else and shown that he can do that. Gronk coming back is a little bit of a sideshow. And if they go and pick up a certain wide receiver, uh, then quite frankly, you know, I think the goodwill towards him may well, may well disappear. I listened to a lot of this game on the radio. Brent Musburger was calling it for uh, the Las Vegas Raiders and he just got slightly more depressed as the game went on. Not from a, I, I, and I don't mean that from a bad point of view. I think he just realised, and he obviously a very experienced sportscaster, he realised how good Tampa Bay were with Brady under centre. And you could sense that, that, you know, they obviously felt, you know, the Raiders had a bit of a chance. I mean, and it was close for a little while, but you, you could hear it and sense it that he knows they're a good team. And I think that's a, that's a great sign. But I can't believe we've gone this far in the podcast without A, either you mentioning that Tyler Lockett was in your fantasy team, or B, 
that we've not managed to find our way to New England yet. So please, for the love of God, just go for it and get out of the way. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. No, uh, just go for it now. Come on. I don't know. Wasn't it magnificent? Uh, you're speaking about Brady and Goodwill. Do you know what? It's one of those things. Him being away from New England has kind of... I've, I've had this sort of personal reflection on my feelings to New England and whilst absolutely I took nothing but um, satisfaction from the way we decimated them and I mean we absolutely decimated them I think it's the first time that the Patriots have lost three in a row um, since 2001 it's the first time they've been two and four since the year 2000 Um, you know there's nothing but enjoyment to be taken from that but I just don't have the same feelings for them as an evil nemesis or enemy since Brady's away. And actually, I was starting to feel it about the Buccaneers anyway. And the Buccaneers, I'll be honest, are a team that have never really registered on my radar. But seeing Brady out there, seeing Bronk be the sideshow, the fact that they've gone and got Antonio Brown now, I I absolutely want to see the Buccaneers. I really want to see the tires come off that now. And that's as a fan. No, you know, I mean, I'm speaking absolutely as a fan. I just want I just want them to fail. I want them to, to lose as many games as possible. The burgers have got nothing to do with it. They'll just taste that little bit sweeter if they do come in my general direction. Um, so, yeah, just anyway, let's get to the game. Let's forget about that. The, the Niners were impressive. I mean, uh, the Niners were impressive. The Patriots stank, and they really did. The... More injuries is the one thing. You know, every single win is coming at a cost right now, and that is a problem that we just can't keep. We can't keep producing players and hoping to win. Jeff Wilson had an absolute day. You know, 112 yards of 17 carries, three touchdowns. He was brilliant. You know, and this is it. So we lost Mostert. Um, we've lost McKinnon to a point. He's not really himself. Coleman's been injured for most of the season. Upsteps Jeff Wilson. And then behind him, um, we've got Jermichael Hasty as well, who wasn't terrible, but is now going to have to really step up a level if he's going to come in and do anything there. Um, the other one is Debo Samuel, looks as though he's picked up an injury as well, which is unfortunate. But, you know, even Jimmy himself, Jimmy was looking much, much better. And over the last two games, since that Dolphins blip, we'll now call it, uh, Jimmy was looking an awful lot better. You know, 20 for 25, 277 yards. He didn't throw for a touchdown is the one thing. Two interceptions, a sack. Um, his rating wasn't brilliant, just below 80. But we know that I, I just don't see Jimmy as a, a quarterback that's going to throw us to victory now. Um, he is a master of ceremonies to our run game, uh, which now includes the wide receivers, which is fun. So, yeah, even Brandon Ayuk had a, a really good performance as well. He looks to be a really good pickup. So, lots to like from a Niners point of view. Those injuries, though, really, really starting to have a big impact. So, Gordon, you you will be aware, obviously working for PFF, of the new uh, San Francisco scale that's been introduced this week, uh, which is based on Cameron's love of his team. Uh, We go to Tier 3, which is when he calls him Jimmy Garoppolo. Tier 2 is when he calls him Jimmy G., and tier one, which is, of course, optimum tier, is just Jimmy. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen, it's... Yeah, we're fine. Uh, the other one is... 
uh, George Kittle is the one that I love. Forget Jimmy G. He's not the one to be focused on. But Kittle's just called Kittle. Um, big shug if I'm really feeling happy. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I'm going to take exception to is, I don't know if you guys saw the video that Kittle did around National Tight End Day. Um, and he, he was talking about all the different contributing factors that tight ends do. But he started calling touchdowns tuddies. And I am not signing up for that. I'm telling you right now, I object to that fully. That can get straight in the bin. Tuddies. Tuddies. This is, this is already well underway. I, I, I don't know for sure. I, I suspect it potentially initially came from somewhere like Barstool. Or it, it's oh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, and it, it's, it, it is now, it's just part of it. It's going to get worse. Oh, I, hate to, I hate to break it to you. It stinks. It, it's awful. And I feel like maybe I'm maybe this is me getting old, but tutties. Ugh. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not signing <laughs> up for that. That word will not come out of my mouth in any way other than to deride it. Um, the, the other thing I thought was interesting in that game is after a very hot start, the wheels have very much come off for the Patriots offense and for Cam Newton. And I, I think there's a few things to do with that. Belichick was asked like if there's the potential for it to be any way related to him being affected with coronavirus and kind of just shut it down straight away that he's not had symptoms. But, you know, I suppose that's one of those things that this is only like nine months old, so we might learn in the future that actually affects him, athletes. Could be his injuries, his previous stuff, his shoulder injuries. He hasn't really thrown to the right much in the last two weeks, so there's something going to bother him there. But the other thing is the Patriots offense in general doesn't have explosive playmakers at wide receiver, doesn't have explosive playmakers at tight end, and Josh McDaniels is being exposed as a play caller who, you know, we the big debate was, is it Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? I think that was always a little bit unfair because the answer is both. The bigger question is probably for the offense, was it Tom Brady or Josh McDaniels? And I think the thing that has been answered very quickly this season is it was Tom Brady. They, you know, Cam Newton is not Tom Brady as a quarterback. He's not going to do what Brady does and just absolutely slice up defenses with his arm. But he absolutely is a playmaker that you can use and you can you know build some things around. At worst case scenario, do what the Ravens did in Lamar Jackson's rookie year um, and build a running game around him. And the Patriots just aren't doing that. So that that for me is the biggest uh, concern for me for the Patriots is not even just for this year, but beyond that Josh McDaniels really doesn't seem to have been able to build something around Cam Newton if the last couple of weeks are anything to go by. Do you think Cam starts this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. So the only the only way Cam Newton doesn't doesn't start for the Patriots, I think, is if they fall out the playoff race and it just makes sense to to see what um, they have in Stidham. Or, and this might be something that happens, and we'll talk about this later, if they become a seller in the trade market, if they start selling players off and if Belichick thinks to himself, do you know what? There's two or three quarterbacks in this draft class. I want to get us into the top five. And it possibly is the way they should have viewed this season from the get-go. Um, and just... I don't care if we win or lose. Let's because Jared said him. I don't think is a good quarterback at all. I think he's bad, and I think he will lead them to a top five, six draft pick. Um, so I think if he decides that's the way he wants to go, that's when that'll happen. Yeah, I just want to see Bill Belichick grab a helmet, 
come off the sideline and say, I'll do it myself. You know, <laughs> and, and take a couple of snaps under centre. I mean, yeah, all teams go through through a bad year. I don't think, you know, I mean, if if the Patriots are two and four, if they finish six and ten, I don't think that tarnishes Bill Belichick in any way, shape or form. I think what he needs to do, and I think Gordon's hit it right, is to rebuild that team because they don't have a lot of players that, you know, if you were picking between neutral games, you think, I'm going to turn on and watch the Patriots. They are a different outfit altogether. Big, big game this weekend going up to the Bills. If the Bills absolutely manhandle them, uh, and as I think they possibly could, then that, I think we'll see what Gordon's talking about, potentially chucking a few guys out the door and just accepting that you're going to get a couple of wins probably against the Jets. You've still got Miami to come. You know, you'll do all right. It's not going to, you know, be at a 3-13 and 13 or anything like that. So I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be overly concerned for the Patriots. They're allowed a down season. Now, it was a fascinating week, week seven. There's a couple of other things. Let's let's rattle through some of the games that we maybe don't necessarily go into any great depth on. So, um, obviously, the Thursday night football game, the, the Eagles finished with their second win of the season, 22-21. Eight consecutive wins over the New York Giants. I think the most notable thing in that was the fact that Daniel Jones was tackled by the ghosts that Sam Darnold saw. Um, other than that, there was there was not an awful lot to talk about. Um, DK Metcalf, I think, was responsible for Daniel Jones coming down um, because he was uh, so fast he went back in time um, and managed to knock him off his, off his pace. Uh, but there's nothing much more I want to add there. Anyone? Yeah, it was in Shy Private Eye who tackled him. He also tackled uh, Randy Arunazena of the, the Rays who, who stumbled <laughs> trying to get home the other night as well. So in Shy Private Eye is currently going round trying to cause absolute chaos. No, I didn't think there was too much in that. And, you know, if we're going to talk the NFC East, let's get it out of the way. I mean, you've, you've got to be embarrassed if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. To go to Washington and get absolutely beat up upon uh, with very little to show for it, I mean, what was it, 140 yards or something like that? 142, 142 Sorry, net yards. Eight to take the two yards away from them, <laughs> that would have made all, all the difference. They were hopeless. And, you know, and, and I know from speaking to a couple of Cowboys fans, they are not too impressed with what's going on. You know what, and this this is interesting, if we go back five, ten years, there'd be no question of McCarthy getting the bullet. You know, at this stage in the season, but that we we live in a different age. We live in that social media age. You know, the, the age of the tuddy, and they're not getting a lot of them. And what we're seeing is, you know, McCarthy's under pressure already. You don't like that, Cameron. I'm going to ban that word from this podcast. <laughs> I swear to God, I might bleep it out. <laughs> I, I think I think the interesting thing with the Cowboys is, and the interesting thing for McCarthy. So I, they've they've been horrendously poor the injury to Dak Prescott might be enough to save him in the sense that he'll get to the end of the season they'll fire the defensive coordinator because the defense has been terrible and that will be the justification for him staying on but there are a lot of coaches around the NFL who have been one and done in the NFL doing less of a disappointing job than they have done so far this season and I mean we're we're in what late October and it feels like like, I don't see any way that the Eagles don't win the NFC East at this point, and I don't think the Eagles are good either. <laughs> like, I just, like, I physically don't see a way that football team win enough games, that the Cowboys win enough games, because they're going to have to start an undrafted or a late-round rookie at quarterback this week, it looks like. The Giants aren't winning more games than the Eagles. So <laughs> the Eagles might win the NFC East with six or seven wins. 
which is obscene. <laughs> but but it should not be used to change the divisional system. The no. NFC West a few years ago was completely honking. It's the old, if they'd been playing in your back garden, you would have shut the curtains routine. There's no way we should be messing with the divisional system. And I know it's all about talking points. So we've got sports radio 24-7 hours, but let, let's let's not be fooled by any of that nonsense. The divisional it, system works. Leave it alone. If you want to make it that division divisional winners, if they're bad, don't host a playoff game, then we might as well just do away with divisions and just have you play everyone in the conference and you play two teams or three teams out of conference. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever gets you to your 17 games. The, the fun is that there is divisional rivalries and, you know, it's not even just that it impacts a season like this whereby it's, you know, a team with potentially a losing record will host at, you know, the third best team in the um, NFC West or wherever it winds up being. But there are seasons whereby a team wins a division at 10 and 6 and they're lower down the seeds than a team who are, you know, 11 and 5. You can't argue that a 10 and 6 team should have to go on the road to an 11 and 5 wild card when potentially the 10-6 team would be in a very good division. So, you know, I don't think you can have it both ways. I like the divisional system as it is, and unfortunately, every two to three years, we get a bad team hosting a playoff game. And that's that's just the way it goes. Yeah, indeed. Uh, talking about the AFC West, the Chiefs uh, destroyed the Broncos 43-16. Ten straight victories for the Chiefs over the Broncos. That's one that they'll definitely be looking to rectify. Uh, Broncos, I thought, might have been the best of the rest in that division. Actually, they're the worst of the rest by the looks of things. Um, okay, fine. Numbers-wise, they're they're still tied with the, the Chargers, but it feels like Drew Locke was not doing a particularly good job in that snow game of looking after the ball, whereas obviously the Chargers seem to have found an absolute diamond in Herbert. Herbert will go to him next. 66 rush yards, most by a quarterback in Char- LA Chargers history. Um 39-29 over the Jaguars probably made a bit more hard work of that than they needed to, but once again, I thought Herbert looked really, really good there. And it does look like that's a, a, a potential quarterback battle between the two of them if the Chargers can put the right pieces around them. In what sense? Do you think Aber, you know, would be under pressure? or No, I think, I think, no, I think Herbert, Herbert's possibly not got enough. He's not got the same pieces around him that Mahomes does. To be right. the same level of success at the moment, I think that they need to they need to give him the right weapons. Now, obviously, the run game at the moment I feel is a concern. Uh, Eckler's out, but the the two guys there that are backing up just don't really seem to have anything that that is providing any sort of a threat. And I think that's why you're seeing Herbert run for sixty six yards himself. He needs to have pieces around him sooner rather than later. Um, for him to be a success, but I think he's much, much better than anybody was anticipating uh, quicker than we thought he was going to be. Yeah, I I really didn't I didn't like the pick when they drafted him. Um, and I look back over some stuff and how we graded him, and he didn't grade that well the past couple of years. But graded really well his, I think it was his freshman year. Yeah, because he came out as a junior. His freshman, freshman year graded really well. And Oregon just didn't really have a whole lot around him either. Uh, and I think that potentially has had a huge impact. And I think that's probably some a, a learning I'm taking out the last couple of years is that for college quarterbacks, if you can see them play at a high level at some point in their college career over a season, that's probably enough that they're worth taking in the first round and you know seeing what you have with them because it's so valuable a position. I think they, they do have players around. Keenan Allen's good. Mike mm. Williams is good. But 
I think they could do with getting some more dynamic players depth-wise around them. Um, but you know, some of the stuff he's done doesn't look like a rookie at all. Uh, has made it a question whether or not him or Joe Burrow is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class. And I think Burrow's been very good as well. Um, so that's going to be fun. And the Chargers, another team who had some injuries, Derwin James getting hurt before the season started. You know, this is probably not a season whereby they're going to be a playoff team just because of how strong the top of the AFC is. But if they can get themselves, I almost want them to go 5-11 and 11 mm. so they have a high draft pick so they can put something else around Herbert because that they become the team in that division that absolutely has the best chance to to try and challenge the Chiefs in the next couple of years if they can get the pieces right. At least enough to make it interesting in that division because there is definitely a risk of absolute dominance like the Patriots were in the AFC East. So, you know, you want to make it a competition and I think Herbert is their best chance for doing that for sure. Um, the, other, the other interesting thing before you leave that is that they may have the star for Los Angeles. You know, he's a big, tall guy. You know, he, he seems to talk well. Ellie loves all that kind of thing. He could end up trumping golf, at, you know, at the Rams. And, you know, LA is one of these sort of fleeting cities. If you can capture the imagination, and let's be honest, that's what the Chargers need to do because they are very much, you know, they're not even seen as the little brother. They're seen as the little stepbrother. You know, they're not viewed very favourably. This could be the draft pick that actually changes things for them a little bit. Well, speaking of Jared Goff, of course, the Rams had a 24-10 victory over the Bears. The Bears looked very disappointing on offense, I think. They looked slightly better on defense. Um, and I think that Jared Goff, you know, look at his performance, 20, uh, 23 completions for 33, 219 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, one sack. Still got a rating of 108, but it just wasn't particularly exciting on a, on a Rams point of view. Um, very quickly before we go to our awards let's close the rest of them off and we'll we'll touch on the Lions-Falcons game there because uh, I think there'll be some awards coming in that general direction but the Falcons continue to Falcon 1-6 for the second consecutive season is a bad look and then the Browns-Bengals was a ding-dong you know Baker Mayfield five passing touchdowns the time most in Cleveland Browns history which is very impressive uh, I think the only game we've not really talked about are Bills-Jets lots of kicks Jets beans and the Jets. That was there, there's, a, there's a great stat from that game, though. Okay. The the New York Jets in the second half had four yards of offense. <laughs> now, you say so, great stat. It depends on who's asking. <laughs> well, so there's a guy that everyone should follow on Twitter. His name's Charles McDonald. He works, I want to say it's for the New York Daily News. His Twitter handle's at four verts, like four verticals. Um, and he works, he's a, a beat writer with the Jets and Giants. He's been at Bleach Report and places like that. And uh, he shared that stat. And then he shared a, a question this afternoon that I thought, we always get these ones. And it's like, could Clemson or Alabama, could they beat the worst team in the NFL and all those things? It's always, the answer is always no, because colleges have players who, you know, never going to touch a football again in their lives. He asked the question of, if you put Clemson up against the Buffalo Bills, would Clemson have more than four yards and a half? And they probably would. That that is that is where I think it's a fair question. That's four <laughs> yards and a half. The, the Jets have a minus 118 point differential, which I think is like 50 points worse than anyone else in the NFL. It's almost 60 worse than anyone in the AFC. I, I mean, th th this is this is a contender for the worst team in NFL history. Yeah, uh, and Adam. I, I can't see where a win comes from. I genuinely. No where a win comes from. You would have to get Miami perhaps on a bad day um, but 
I, I really can't see where it's going to come from. And, you know, we, I think the Lions were the 0-16 team previously, and, and they, they flirted with, they, they were arguably a little bit unlucky in a couple of games. You're, you're just not seeing the Jets being unlucky in any way, shape or form. They're just a badly coached team. Adam Gase, they've got to get rid of. I think everybody accepts that. I just don't see what the out here is. If they're going to keep Gase, if you are going to try and get Trevor Lawrence, if you're going to be the worst team, you've then got to ship out Darnold. You're not really then protecting uh, Lawrence with anything around you on the line. So all the same problems remain. I mean, it's not Sam Darnold's fault. I think we can pretty much agree on that, that it's not Darnold's fault. And I don't know what you're going to get on a trade market for Darnold because he's viewed as damaged goods. Uh, but four yards. I mean, let's be honest. We could put the NFL Scotland team together and we'd fancy we'd get four yards. You know, I mean, we're not we're not talking, you know, OK, we'd probably get pulverised and not walk again. But we might, you know, be able to come up with a net of five yards, you know. And then walk Th- off. Thinking, and walk off. Thinking, thinking back to the, the videos that we had for the week one event. I think you might be being a tad optimistic there. <laughs> well, well, I might be, but I, I, I'm, I'm going for our own version of, of Frank Gore, you know, Mr. Cameron Hogsby. <laughs> He'll weld his way through for at least a five, six, seven-yard run, and, that, and that'll be fine. We'll take a knee the rest of the time, so that'll we've, be okay. Listen, we've got height in Jamie and Charles. We've got our uh, slot receiver there in Paul Mitchell, as long as his groin holds up. Um, and, and Ian, we've got a, a, at least one part of an offensive line. You know, he played tight end. He could be um, a unit of a guy. I'm sure I could and Ian, we don't back even in. have a guy who can set his fantasy lineup. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I think, yeah, Ian, Ian Stephen may have sacked the, uh, N- <laughs> the NFL Scotland Fantasy League because you managed to win with 88 points this week, which is a disgrace. It's great. Glorious. Um, all count. <laughs> right. Uh, the only game we've not talked about before we do the awards is the uh, Packers. So the Packers, of course, uh, I mean, it, 35-20 makes it look closer than it was because this was exceptionally one-sided. But uh, Packers, 6-0 and all-time in Houston. Three wins against the Texans in Houston, three wins against the Oilers in Houston. Never lost in Houston. So there you go. Did, um, did anybody else think that Kirk Cousins was sitting watching that game at the end going, these are some brilliant garbage time points. Yeah. That's the way to do it. <laughs> that, that's, what I, that's the kind of football I like. Yeah. But David Johnson's been getting a real hard time uh, looking at Twitter this week. A load of question marks about his effort and whether or not he's trying. I personally, I don't know. Personally, I feel like if you were playing behind that offensive line and you're getting battered all the time, there's only so much of that you can do before you start to question it yourself. Um, he's got a hard job to do, and he, you know, I thought he did pretty well for the touchdown. I don't think it's David Johnson's fault. I think there's a lot of problems in Houston and. Yeah, I think it was one of those ones whereby there was a lot of weird optimism for it felt very little reason when they traded for him as part of the DeAndre Hopkins deal. And everyone was like, oh, you know, David Johnson maybe just needs a, a change of scenery. He had a huge season in the NFL what, three, four years ago, but he's been hurt since then. You know, he's a lot older now. It always felt like a move that was not going to massively move the needle for the Texans. Um and that's that's proven to be true. I, I I feel I feel genuinely bad for Deshaun Watson because in an alternate reality, this Texans team are competing for a Super Bowl this year. Um, but in the reality they have, they had Bill O'Brien as their coach and general manager who decided I'm gonna throw eighteen different spanners into that works. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Right, let's move on to the weekly awards then, um, and we'll hear some of the thoughts first of all. So Stu Galloway, his, his belter is DK Metcalf for the effort on the interception to make the tackle. Baufin is Cincinnati's defence, and the ball bag is Daniel Jones. Ryan got in touch to say, Gurley for all three. Baufin, it was a horrible mistake. Bobag, he cost Atlanta the win. And Belter, he and Hawkinson are in my fantasy team. So, yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Patriots football chat with Jake and Matt. They got in touch to say the Belter was the 49ers and Jeff Wilson. Baufin is Adam Gase and the Jets. Um, And Bobag is Belichick for pretty much bensing Chase Winovich after the penalty hit on Jimmy G and the subsequent argument. I didn't see that one, I'll be honest. So... Um, not sure on that one. Uh, Sean Black, his belter was Justin Herbert. Baufin was Bostick's hit on Dalton. And Bob Ag was the Bucks for picking up AB. Lauren Callahan, his belter is Tyler Lockett. His Bob Ag is John Bostick for the awful hit on Andy Dalton and the NFL officials. No suspension is due to Bostick. A few years ago, you were suspended for shaking a quarterback's hand with too much force. And Baufin for him is the Cowboys defense, giving up usual big plays made the Redskins offense look serviceable. Hashtag fire Mike Nolan. Cowboys offense. Makeshift O-line was porous. Couldn't get anything going. Cowboys team. Nobody took exception, nobody took exception to the Dalton hit. Um, and Mike Nolan topped it all off by sticking Tabasco sauce in his own eye. Which I thought was a particular high point of that week. Polly, um, our resident Buccaneers fans, uh, his belter game-changing Buccaneers drive at the end of the first half, resulting in Scotty Miller's touchdown. Baufin is the NFC least, and a ball bag is a turf monster for his violent assault on Daniel Jones. LJ then his uh, belter for him is week seven as a whole. Some incredible viewing had a bit of everything. Baufin, Cowboys defense not turning up this season at all. And Bobag is Bostic. Um, hard hits, but he fully deserves a suspension and should have got one. A couple more nominations from David for uh, Metcalf. Um, there's a couple more Metcalf uh, nominations in the way there. Ross Sterling puts forward Tyler Lockett. There's one nomination for Johnny Hecker. That's from Scott Baird, who had a great performance uh, from a punting point of view. few people saying uh, Jeff Wilson in there as well. Phil said Jeff Wilson as the James... Um, there's uh, Bobag Phillips Spears his is another ACL injury is it not enough to have um, sorry is this related to not having enough pre-season um, Bobag a uh, different one suggestion here Ross Sterling uh, Broncos tackle Garrett Bowles for suggesting the Broncos are neck and neck with the Chiefs <laughs> which neck hey. <laughs> it's a brass neck I was going to say define neck I mean I, the neck, my neck's just underneath my head, but I mean, it might be different in in Colorado. In e- I think I think he's been sampling the local product. It's neck and neck in the sense that you know, Darren Sproles is neck and neck with Peyton Manning. You know, there's only about a foot of difference there. <laughs> uh, a couple others. DJ Solman, his belter was Matthew Stafford. His boyfriend was the entire Patriots roster. Um, one other nomination then for belter was Devin White for belting Derek Carr out of the ground for one of his three sacks. So, guys, uh, we've heard a couple of nominations there. What what are your nominations? Let's start with the belter, first of all, and Gordon, as guest, you can go first. I, I'm going to go for one that's not been mentioned yet. The Tyler Lockett performance obviously got a lot of attention, and it took away from what was a ridiculous game by Devontae Adams in Green Bay. Uh, two touchdowns, just shy of 200 yards, caught everything that was thrown his way. Um, and... 
has only played what two and a half games this year and is one of the best receivers in football. So a, a huge boost when Aaron Rodgers is playing a lot better and he has Devontae Adams to throw to. You know, that's a team that can compete with anyone, I think. Paul? Uh, DK Metcalf is certainly impressed. I, I'm going to surprise you here. I'm actually going to give the belter to, to Joe Sly because he was asked to kick a 65-yard field goal, albeit indoors, um, you know, to do something for his team to tie them up. And it, it all but grazed the other side of the bar. It was a, it was a heck of a kick. You know, I mean, we, we've tried these things. They're very difficult. You know, the Saints were coming at them for everything. They were worse. Um, and I, I just thought it was a really, really great effort. You know, he put it dead centre. You know, it wasn't pulling left or right or anything like that. So, you know, he, he, he would certainly get mentioned, but DK Metcalf's my original, my original answer. So, right, I'm going to talk about this DK Metcalf thing because I've already made some snidey comments at it. Um, because my belter, first of all, just to appease the Seahawks fans that are going to think I'm having a cheap shot here, it's Tyler Lockett for me. I think Tyler Lockett's performance was sensational. And given how sort of quiet he's been by his own standards, I thought he did really well. DK Metcalf, right, got to give him credit. That was determined play, right? He did exactly what he should have done. Um, interception there by his quarterback. He chased the boy down and he prevented a touchdown and he chased him all the way. The hype around this has been ridiculous, right? Man runs faster than other man, right? DK Metcalf is substantially taller than Buda Baker. Um, Buda Baker's fast. Buda Baker wouldn't have known that DK Metcalf was right on him. So DK Metcalf has an advantage on that run because Buda Baker's tiring, running out. He's been on the field for ages defending. He's the one that's going to cover a, a bit more ground. He doesn't know what his roots are and what have you, so he's constantly running. Um, and it's right down at the goal line as well. So the, he's been out there a while. So is DK Metcalf fine. But do you know what? They are controlling the pace of this. Buda isn't. He... Did brilliantly, right? I'm not taking this away. DK Metcalf did brilliantly, but Jesus Christ, man, they just ran him down. He's just faster, right? He's faster, fast. I don't think there's there's no skill there. It's just pace. He did very well. Well done. But my goodness me, the hype, the oh my god, he's inhuman. No, he's not. He's just faster. He's just fast, and he had the advantage. It's like when you see these people running around the outside of the, uh, some of these baseball places. The, there's one guy does this, some chubby guy that still manages to outpace people. And it's fine because he's catching up. He can see how fast he needs to run. Buddha didn't know he was on him until the last minute. You could see that by the fact that he looked over and went, oh, my God. Buddha was surprised he caught him. But, you know, what? just, yeah. That's not the right thing we should be hyping. We're it's a week of so much great play and so many great catches. Uh, and I'm going to say Higgins, you know, the, the great catch that he made right at the end of that Browns-Bengals game. That's way more impressive than running someone down. It just... Uh, yeah. we're, uh, we're about two months early for this kind of bah humbug nature. Why do you not enjoy fun? It's not about fun. It's it's inhuman. It's inhuman in capitals. I think I sent you a message, Gordon, saying, what is this? PFF were killing for it. This is unreal. No, it's not. He's just faster. He's just faster. Cameron's the guy who, after Usain Bolt ran, what, 958 or something, was texting his friends being like, I don't get the big deal. He was just faster (laughs) than the other boys. 
but no, that's his job, right? That's different. No, that's different. Uh, I get the point. <laughs> but I'm not watching this for pace. If I if I wanted speed chat, I would be talking. I mean, I personally, I maybe it's just me. I couldn't give two hoots when I find out how fast someone ran, and you get the next gen stance. Oh, he did twenty three point one miles per hour. I couldn't care. So what? That's not what he's. That's not the skill element. The skill element is getting the separation, getting the space, catching the ball, getting beating your man. That's what football is. Not fastness anyway it was very impressive it was very determined i'd be loving it if it was my wide receiver it was a great play by metcalf the hype has been a bit ott for me to wake up on the monday morning and that's the big play that everybody's talking about there was way bigger plays so uh, it is nice may, may i say it's nice that i don't have to be the salty one this week that is just <laughs> fantastic and if you think you're annoyed now just you wait because I've got something else coming up here for you. So oh, you go. God. Right, okay. So, uh, very quickly then, Bowfin. Uh, this should be easy. Bowfin's got to be John Bostick for that stupid hit. And and then you could argue that, you know, we live in a sporting culture that if somebody does something to one of your teammates, you would tend to react. I mean, it didn't look like Dallas cared to hoots what was happening. You know, sometimes in baseball, you know, a manager will go and, you know, if a player's done something stupid, you know, he'll go out and he'll, you know, get himself thrown out the game trying to get his team hyped. Dallas didn't look too bothered. I didn't like that. But Bostic, I thought that was a cheap shot. I don't like cheap shots. Um, so that's what gets it there for me. See, for me, and I'll just, I'll give you my two here. For me, he gets the ball bag because it's more ball bag behaviour than Bowfin behaviour. For me, Bowfin goes to Gurley because that was a Bowfin decision to not drop down onto your knee before the line. I, I, I don't think that's Bob Aggery. I feel like that's Bowfin, you know, and I would separate them that way. So for me, Bostick's the ball bag, Gurley's Bowfin. Um, that was just stupid on his part. He just didn't think, and he's done it before. He just was caught in the moment. I don't think he was expecting to get through the line that easy and just had that moment of, oh, oh no. Um, yeah. I, it happened in college football as well. I can't remember the game because uh, we were talking about it where somebody went through, danced in and should have stopped but didn't. They ended up scoring and gave the other team an opportunity to come back. I'm sure that was Penn State. But um, yeah, um, that's the way I've got it going there. Gordon? I, I'm i going to agree, agree entirely with you on Bob Ag. Um The hip was horrible. Just not necessary either, which just makes it worse. Baufin, so... The girly thing, I think, probably needs some context to know just how Bowfin it was. Did the team explain the situation to him beforehand? Because it's rare that teams will, you know, allow a player to score. <laughs> the Lions defenders had their arms in the air celebrating touchdown um, as he went in the end zone because they knew that's exactly what they wanted. But if he wasn't told before, do not go into the end zone here, then I think that's a difficult thing to think of in the exact moment. You know, think on that. For me, Bowfin, and we already talked about it, you can't gain four, four yards in a half of football. That's just, <laughs> there are 32 NFL teams on the planet. You cannot gain four yards in a half. That is horrible. See, I think this is interesting because Bowfin and Ballbag, you know, we can interchange. It depends on who you're blaming. So, w- without doubt, I mean, Todd Gurley to me as a ball back because you've got to know what you're doing in that situation there's big scoreboards all around the place and yes your coach should have told you there's no way he should have gone into that end zone I mean Matt Ryan in the huddle would have been saying you know where it's a running play make sure you drop a yard short it's not difficult that's your ball baggery uh the Jets absolutely but do you blame the players do you blame the coach in the play calls I think there's ball baggery there but let's be honest gents these all pale and I mean pale into insignificance 
when you think of the sheer ball baggery that went on and he knows it's coming. It's all your fault, Cameron. You cannot win fantasy football over a legend that is Scott Cooper and then expose him to the world the way you did. That's Bob Baggery, absolute central. 256 points to 121. And this is the week that you decide to tweet about fantasy football. Bob Baggery, sir. <laughs> the, the, I, fact, I, the fact that he did it from the NFL Scotland account and then quote tweeted, be like, oh, I won all my matchups this week. <laughs> Absolutely correct. I, I changed my agreement. <laughs> horrible, horrible as it was, a horrible hit on a player is absolutely indefensible. I hope Bostic gets suspended, even though they said they haven't. I hope they reconsider. But absolute Bob Agri behaviour. I completely forgot. Tweeting it from the, PF, uh, from the PFF, the NFL Scotland account, <laughs> and then quote tweeting it is absolute Bob Agri behaviour. <laughs> It's fine, Scott Cooper's not on Twitter, so he wouldn't have seen it. It's fine. <laughs> and it was less about what he did, and just I just wanted to highlight that. I've, I've never... That's, that's why it's Bob Agnew. I have never had a performance like that in my life. I normally stink the place up when it comes to fantasy football. I was very excited to see that score. It was quite something. It was quite something. Um, well, it's won you an award as well, so congratulations. <laughs> I'll take it on the chin. Um, just coming back to this Metcalf thing, right? I've searched on Twitter. The first thing that came up, right, is a guy called Matt Jones. Oh, it's just disappeared. Matt Jones, um, who 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 has got something to do with Kentucky Radio. And his comment is, oh, this DK Metcalf tackle is one of the most impressive things I've seen. One of the most impressive things I've seen in football. And he doesn't just, get out much. Like, he just, you know. fine. You know, he, he hit 22.64 miles per hour at the quickest, and Baker's top speed was 21.2. Well, there, that explains it. He's faster than him. I'm not taking away, do you know what? It was a very impressive level of determination. Um, but this was a close game. You would expect that from your players. If your players give up, you'd be annoyed at them. You want them to close it down. I Listen, I'm, last word on it, because I know I'm being a dick about it, but it's very impressive. It was hugely impressive play. It just isn't... I just don't think it's worth the hype. But I think we, we should finish and acknowledge just the bigger picture for the Atlanta Falcons, who I think for the third time this season managed to take a 98% win probability and lose. Now... It'd be interesting, and this is the question I, I, I have for Gordon. I blame Todd Gurley fully for this because the game should have been over. Now, if the field goal kicker misses a chip shot, that's a different story. But to me, that is game over. Now, the Atlanta defence is getting absolutely pummeled, uh, quite rightly, but I still don't think it's their fault. I mean, wh where do you fall on that, Gordon? So I think we should probably be given more credit in a game theory side of things to the Lions and their coaching staff. It's very easy in that, you know, thinking on your feet quickly and saying, okay, actually our only hope of winning this game is either they miss a field goal. And that that's the easy thing is let's hope in this situation, let's hope they miss the field goal. The galaxy brain version is let's let them score. And then we have the opportunity to now go down the field and we can score and we can do that ourselves. So I think as much, and, and maybe it is girly because that's one of those things that if they've discussed it enough ahead of time, or even just you should know in that situation, we just want, you know, we just want to get to the one here. But I, I just think it's a really smart move by the Lions to 
to let that happen, to give yourself the opportunity. And again, we've talked about this before when it comes to going for two and going for it on fourth down. The most valuable thing in football is having the ball. When the game is on the line, you want to be the offense that has the ball in your hands. And they made a decision, which was, we're not going to leave this in the hands of, or the feet of the Falcons kicker. We're going to have the ball and we're going to get a chance to go down the field and score. And they did that. So fair play to the Lions who have put themselves back into a potential playoff picture um, by being fairly bold. So moving on from that then, uh, we have decided this episode that rather than necessarily focusing too much on week eight, we are going to instead talk about some potential trades. You know, let's get excited about this. The trade deadline is next Tuesday. So by the time we we next chat, uh, it will be about the point actually that that deadline's coming to an end. So maybe a few things will sneak in um, Sky Sports news style uh, under the radar. But yeah, let's let's chuck some stuff up in the air and see what sticks here. What do we think is is a piece that we would like to see traded? What is a trade that makes sense? Who are the teams that need to go and make moves? Uh, and what do we think is going to happen here? This comes on the back of uh, Carlos Dunlap has been picked up by the Seahawks today. Some defensive end help. They definitely need it. Um, he Dunlap obviously been very keen to get out of Cincinnati. He gets his way. I think they've given back an offensive lineman, BJ Finney, and a seventh-round pick as well. So there didn't seem to be a lot of demand for Carlos Dunlap, so at least the Bengals get something for him. Um, O-line help, maybe not an absolute standout player, but the Bengals definitely need some O-line help. But uh, I guess the Seahawks kind of needed some... Their O-line's not magnificent, but anyway, defensive end probably a bigger need. But let's chat now. How do we see this panning out over the next week? Who's going to make a move and who are they going to make a move for? I, I think one of the most interesting things that could happen is we might see quarterbacks on the move, which is very rare for end season. Um, I think the Cowboys, if they won, Mike McCarthy probably wants to, you know, have a strong second half of the season so that his job isn't in jeopardy. And you know, Ben DiNucci and Andy Dalton probably aren't helping them do that. So maybe they go out and make a move. Maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, you know, he wants to start, give him another team that he can throw touchdowns for just to keep collecting them. Maybe it's a uh, favourite of the podcast, Jameis Winston from the Saints. Like, go and get a guy who can, you know, a, a quarterback change could help them win the win the division. That's it, It's that simple. And not necessarily for the Cowboys, but the, the quarterback I most want to see on the move for two reasons uh, is Sam Darnold. One, because it allows Joe Flacco to start, and then we get to have a debate over whether or not Cameron owes me a burger. <laughs> does. And a ball of whiskey. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and two, I just want get get Sam Darnold out of New York or New Jersey. Get him to as much as I would dislike this. Get him to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Get him to the Indianapolis Colts. Let him sit for the rest of the year and let him play out the last year or so of his contract. You know, having learned from a, a veteran who's been there in a stable organization who are who are run well, um, because the Jets are absolutely finishing last in the NFL this year. They're going 0-16. At best, maybe they go 1-15, 2-14. They're picking first in the draft. They're taking Trevor Lawrence or they're taking a quarterback. So Sam Darnold is done in New York. Get what you can for him now. It might only be a third-round pick. It might be a fourth. It's not going to be a lot you're going to get for him. Trade him. Let him try and rebuild his career somewhere else. This is not the same as the Josh Rosen situation where he hadn't shown anything at all. Darnold has shown stuff. Get him to somewhere whereby he actually has a chance to salvage his career. Yep, 
No, I think it's so we're recording this via Zoom, and I, I know the boys probably won't be able to see it, but right on the top of my list here is Dallas need quarterback Dash Winston. Now, I'm slightly biased. I want Winston out in your league. I think he's a bad quarterback. However, Dallas, I think, do need it. Now, does a, does a quarterback like Winston or Fitzpatrick coming in make much difference to the Dallas season? It's the Eagles' division to lose. I, I maintained at the start it was Dallas's division to lose. But Dallas are a complete scare show. So how about this one? I don't think it'll happen, but I'll tell you what. It'll be interesting to see. Ezekiel Elliott to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hope it happens. That, that, would, be, that would be great for hurting the Pittsburgh Steelers' salary cap long term. Um, I mean, but, but is it all about now? If you're sensing that you've got something special, and they do, you know, could they take over such a big contract for somebody who, you know, I mean, I've just looked at the the, the Steelers' depth chart for, for running backs. You know, James Conner, Benny Snell Jr. You know, they're not really stacked. Do they look for a marquee running back to try and take them over the top? Now, I, I pick you know, Elliot, because Dallas might want to offload and think, you know, we need to start again. And if you believe that running backs are easily replaceable, even the good ones, then they might get a little bit of draft capital on this one. So I, I just, you know, if, if you wanted to be slightly wild in speculation, uh, the Steelers and, and Zeke Elliott. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, there's there's been a lot of big names, rumours, you know, a, a lot of these being shot down, Julio Jones being talked about, Michael Thomas being talked about, AJ Green, there's always chat about him. I don't think, I don't know that we'll see anything quite as blockbuster as that. I, I think they would take, yeah, it would take a lot of right scenarios for something like that to land. The one area that I'm interested in is actually the Houston Texans. And I wonder whether we'll see more big names coming out of Houston. Um, I wonder whether J.J. Watt might be on the move, as big as that. Now, that's probably the least likely because he's so significant to that franchise, and I'm not sure that the fan base could take it. That would be the one thing that would probably stop it happening more than anything else. Um, But, you know, Whitney Merciless, who we've had on the show, might be somebody who who moves on. Um, They've obviously got Kenny Stills there. They've got some receivers. Do they start getting rid of some of them? Because they've got Stills, Cook, Cook's... um, Cobb and Fuller, and they're not going anywhere this season. It's it's a, it's a bad year. So do they now try and get some capital back and try and reclaim something? They're not going to get first round picks, but can they get something in the in the second or third? You know, is Will Fuller worth a third round pick? Something like that. JJ Watt, you would want to think, is at least worth a second. I don't know that JJ Watt's worth a first round pick anymore. Um, but you want to try and get something so you can build some pieces there, uh, because the Texans are just yeah, it's. Trending very I, much the wrong way. I, I think they could get as much as a first for Will Fuller. Um, and I think they absolutely should be offloading Fuller or JJ Watt now. The damage that was done with Bill O'Brien as general manager puts them in such a difficult position, hurts you salary cap wise. You know, it hurts them draft wise because they just don't have draft capital. And it's the single most valuable thing for a franchise outside of having your franchise quarterback, which they have. And if you're wanting to appeal to a general manager as a hire in the offseason, I, I think they need to go and get draft capital. You need to try and get a first round pick. You need to try and get a second. If they could get a first for Will Fuller and a second for JJ Watt at one in six, or I think that's what they are at this point in time. 
it's the right move. Yeah, they're not going to the playoffs this year. You might as well, you know, take this year as a as a mulligan, and you know, try and rebuild around Deshaun Watson next year. Because if you just try and keep going the way you're going, they're going to find themselves always being the also rands in the AFC. Because you're not, unless you rebuild and retool this, and you can do that around Watson, although they have wasted his rookie contract. If you can do that, then you can start to try and threaten the Chiefs. But they absolutely have to do something to to give them the opportunity to build in the future. Yeah, if only they'd had a big name wide receiver that they could have gone and <laughs> you know got a couple of first round picks for. I mean, I feel for them. I mean, they'll probably trade Will Fuller for a box of Mike and Ike Sowers and think that they've done a pretty good job. But I agree that I don't see JJ Watt going. I think that would be too much psychologically for the fan base. But I could see Will Fuller going. I could see Whitley Merciless going as well. And just picking up, as you say, that, that draft capital that's needed. Another couple of players that I'd looked at, I mean, the Falcons, I mean, Tap McKinley, people are talking about him possibly mm. moving on. It's never a sexy thing where you start to talk about defensive linemen, but you could do a job for someone elsewhere. The other one that I've read a little bit about is Quinn Williams and, and the Jets. You know, do they, do they shop him? I think that'd just be a nightmare because, again, if you are going to be bringing in a new quarterback, you need positions like that and good players there. So he's I also think, he's on a rookie deal as well. So like yeah, that, leave him alone. Few, yeah, yeah. I mean, the difficult thing for the Jets is outside of Darnold and Quinn and Williams, I don't know that there is a player they have has trade value at this point. I, I mean, genuinely looking at the roster, there's just there's not a lot there. So, but you have to keep Quinn and Williams, and they might wind up moving him. If I was them, I would keep him. I would let Darnold go elsewhere. But you know, good teams, maybe the Packers, someone like that. If you can get Quinn and Williams for a third round pick or even less than that, just do it. It's a yeah, it's 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 a very valuable thing to have a player who potentially could be very good on a rookie contract. So. Obviously, it's an interesting time ahead. There's a lot of trading to go in, uh, potentially. We might see nothing. Sometimes, you know, you just get nothing at all. But there certainly seems to be an awful lot of hype. Um, I guess the other one would be maybe the Giants. I think that Evan Engram could move on from there. Uh, Golden Tate is another one that they might get rid of. Actually, is Engram, Engram out of contract due to a contract extension if they're going to keep him? So maybe they get rid of him while he's still got value. David Njoku out of... Cleveland seems to have fallen way down the pecking order. Um, I think that you could have ended up seeing someone like Cameron Bray up for trade, but obviously the the Howard injury there means that they'll probably roll with a, a couple of tight ends still. The Saints, do the Saints need to go and get some wide receiver help? Um, or, I know they went no, and got they, Sanders they out of agency, but... Yeah, they, they need to get them healthy. I mean, that that's part of the problem. I mean, Michael Thomas is a huge miss take Sanders out due to COVID reasons. And, you know, that's the one-two punch. And there's very few teams that are trying to compete that if you took their top two receivers out, you know, you could go and get Golden Tate or something like that as a, as a slightly more experienced backup. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the Saints game, but, I mean, there was a little bit, you know, Callaway showed a little bit of promise. You know, there was a little bit of promise that you get away with the home game against the Panthers with. But, you know, if Thomas is going to be a problem and Sanders is going to be a problem then that will be their downfall because the other receivers won't be good enough to carry you through the stretch of games that's coming up. The other one, I guess, quarterback-wise, would be Dwayne Haskins, uh, very much now out of favour at Washington. Do you think, Gordon, there's enough there that someone might take a risk on him? I don't know if you would get more than the fourth-round pick from at this point. Um, 
just don't think he's particularly good. Mm. You know, again, he's young, so maybe someone takes an op- takes a chance on him because you know you can you can see what you have without spending a lot. It doesn't cost a lot against the cap, and if you can get him for a fourth round pick or less, then maybe um, maybe someone like a yeah. The, the Steelers are a really interesting team in all these the quarterback sweepstakes because they're going to be good this year. They are good this year. They're not going to have a high draft pick. So they're going to have to either do what the Ravens did and take a quarterback late in the first round and hope that pans out or you know, potentially try and trade up or they have to look to try and get something in free agency if Ben Roethlisberger has done this season. And if he's not done this season, you know, the next couple of years is going to be him winding it out. So they definitely, I think, could be a player in you know, Dwayne Haskins sweepstakes, Sam Darnold sweepstakes, things like that. And it's interesting as well that the Cowboys are, seem to be Jetson players as well. We've already seen um, Everson Griffin go from them to the Lions, so he's back in the NFC North. Uh, it seems to be rumours that they're going to release as well Dontari Poe and Daryl Worley if they can't trade them as well. So clearly they're they're moving pieces around here. Funny that they're blaming the, the, the defensive players that we know are capable rather than necessarily a defensive coordinator who we maybe aren't so sure that he is. Yeah, it's it, who's going to trade for a player in the Cowboys' defense right now? Though, yeah, like, it's like the, the Jets' offense. Are you going to go and try and trade there? I think it makes sense for the Cowboys, and you know, I don't know if they'll be as outlandish as Paul's suggestion of trading Zeke Elliott. But if they're not going to go and try and get something at quarterback, they probably should be sellers in this market and try and position yourself. You know, maybe they're a surprise team that winds up going after a quarterback next off season, and maybe they trade the rights to Dak Prescott. So. If they're not going to go and try and find a, a, a bandage or a plaster at quarterback, um, then I think they probably should be sellers. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Before we wrap up, then any other uh, any other final comments? The only so the wild one that I, I don't see happening is um, Stephon Gilmore uh, is the has put his house up for sale. Um, all that stuff, that's like that seems wild to me. The reigning defensive player of the year being traded. But again, if the Patriots are of the mindset of, you know, we need to be planning for the future, um, then, you know, it makes sense in that regard. Maybe he's just moving house. <laughs> Carlos Dunlap was not just moving house. No. <laughs> the other, so I've just seen a tweet from Adam Schefter, so, so that we don't get caught in, yeah. this, out in this news. Uh Limited seating is now expected at the Super Bowl. And if week 18 is added because of scheduling issues that forced them to add the off week between the conference championships and the Super Bowl would be eliminated. Right, okay. And the Super Bowl would stay on February 7th. So right. the NFL is continuing to hope that they play the Super Bowl on time. Mm. That's interesting. Good on, good on them for that. I think I think that that's that's wise. It's it's good planning. Uh, I think plan it. Just be open to be open to a playoff bubble because yeah. things potentially could get bad in February. Yeah, I mean the World Series has just finished in baseball. My beloved Rays sadly fell short, but you know they they finished off in a couple of bubbles, and it, it all worked. You know pr- pretty much as you would hope. So. Yeah, with, with the with the exception of the celebration of the player, the yeah, 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 that that was a little bit. But you could argue the season had finished by that point. So could, um, it was not a celebration I wanted to see in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, I mean, they, they could take the four teams 
um, that you know are going to play in the championship games and the Super Bowl, but just put them in bubbles and just make sure that gets played. Yes, indeed. Right. I'm away to force myself to rewatch the DK Metcalf play at least another five <laughs> times so that I can just give him more praise. And you know what? I yeah, fine. It was impressive, right? It was impressive. It just wasn't oh no, the most... don't 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 start. Don't start. Just, I'll, I'll, now. I'll I'll finish by saying if you've not watched the Michael Vick thirty for thirty, which is about well, it's about ninety minutes each of the two episodes. It's well worth a watch. It's absolutely fascinating how basically he had a frat house on Moonlight Drive, I think it was called, um, which his wife didn't particularly visit, girlfriend at the time. There just seemed to be utter chaos. The dogfighting angle, which is utterly horrific, you actually get to see the cultural um, bubble that's around that. And it's a little bit more complicated than perhaps you would expect. And as I say, you've got to go back a few years as well. That was quite eye-opening as well. And also how close he came to be thrown out the league a second time after the shooting at his birthday party. I completely forgot about that. It's, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating documentary. And I'll leave you with this one simple fact from it, that the Falcons unis were much better then than they are now. So change doesn't always mean things are better, having the words ATL written on your jersey, as if that makes some sort of difference. Good grief. Anyway. <laughs> that's a not, not, not a rant that measures anything close to you this week, Cameron, but that's how I'll finish. It's just, it's just, right, that's a full-time whistle for episode 121. Share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. Thanks to Gordon McGuinness from PFF and NFL Scotland for joining us on the podcast. Always good to have Gordon around. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Keep those award nominations coming. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the action from Week 8. But until then, bye for now.